Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and bear cubs everywhere wanting to relocate to Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> oh, nice. It's Thursday at 3, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BBP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of bear cubs, with Aww. me are my two fuzzy friends, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, Aww. kids. Hello, everybody. Hello out there. How is everyone out there today? I like being a bear cub. I know. You, are. You, guys are, nice. you guys are like my two little teddy bears. Have Aww. you Like the movie, you're Ted and Ted too. Have you seen that movie? No. <laughs> That's where the awe stops. <laughs> I, you need to know what he's talking about. You will not no watch idea. this movie with your children, Walt. Yes, Let me put it that way. It's about teddy bears. It's mm, Seth MacFarlane. Really. It's a teddy bear that comes <laughs> to life. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, mm-hmm. and yes, you do not watch this movie with your children. Let me warn you. Well, I just got back from the last leg of the Diva Tour, but before I talk about that, can we talk about baseball? Craziness. Oh, my God. I am so excited. I was up to 1.15 last night. Nice. In the morning. I got, I'm got. i working on four hours sleep, so if you guys see me nod off in the middle of the show, you know why. I'm huh. so tired. I'm already, yeah, I was so tired like four <laughs> hours ago. But, no, but I just I couldn't stop watching. It was – and, you know, I, I told my trainer back in July, I said, you keep your eye on the Cubs because they're going to win the World Series. He goes, oh, you think so? I go, yes, you watch. You watch. They're going to win the World Series. And, you know, and I'm a Giants fan because I grew up in – San Francisco, but I did live in Chicago, so I love the Cubs too. And then last night, at the top of the eighth inning, when it was eight six, and because I had watched the fifth inning, and there was something going on, and I said to myself, I turned to actually, I said to my dog Murphy, I said, Murphy, this is going to go ten innings. Hmm. Even though it was eight six, did Murphy respond? He just looked at me and wagged his tail. And sure enough, it went to 10 innings. And I predicted the score was going to be 8 to 7, and the score was 8 to 7. Am I good? I should have bet. Can you? But go ahead. Numbers what? for the lottery. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, did you so, see? Did you hear about the person who, uh, back in his high school yearbook, was it 1993, predicted the Cubs would, would win the 2016 World oh, Series? Oh, funny. In 1993. Nice. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Not me, because I wasn't in high school in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it was really exciting. I was really. Are you not baseball fans? Did you not watch the? Did you not watch any of the World Series? I did not. Oh my god! So, well, Sorry. for me, it was like one anxiety down. Now I've got one anxiety <laughs> left. Next week election, but we won't talk about that. Yep, we will. So my anxiety with the World Series is over. My Cubs won, and I'm very excited. So big shout out to everybody in Chicago! Yay! Give applause for the Cubs! Woo-hoo! Yay! Yay! All right, it's about time, 100 and something years later. Yeah. But gosh. what about our friends in Ohio who are cheering for the Cleveland Indians? Well, you know, we like them too. We like all our friends in Ohio. But, you know, you do have to give it to the Cubs. It's been mm-hmm. a long, long, <laughs> long time. All right. Okay, so enough, enough of the World Series, enough baseball, enough Cubby stuff. By the way, I never told you this, that I had a second cousin who played for the Cubs. Huh. Yeah, he lasted two years and then he went on to other things. But anyway, mm. yeah, so. All right. Well, uh, I, I just came back this last weekend from the installment of the um, Diva Tour. Do you remember where I went? Minnesota. I went to Minnesota. And I have three words for the people at the Minnesota Council on the Teaching of Languages and Cultures. Three words. You know, want to know what it is? Awesome. Fabulous. These people are awesome. <laughs> it was the, it was one of the, I mean, I, 
we're about have, ready to have my will this next week, Michigan World Language Association. So I have to be careful how I phrase this. But this was one of the best state sponsored conferences I've been to. They did a really, really good job. And it was just really, 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 really good. And I enjoyed myself. They're great hosts, too. So I, if, I think Luca tweeted the T-shirt they gave me. Mm-hmm. And we just mm-hmm. got presents in the mail today. Did you see what we got? We got packages from Grant Boulanger for the people at um, MCTLC. I got to make sure I say the initials right. Um, so we got we got little fun presents from the people in Minnesota. It was really nice of them. So thank you, Grant Minnesota, and everybody Grant in Minnesota. And thank everybody. you, Wally. Say thank you. Thank you, everybody. Walter literally just breezed in the studio like five minutes ago, like right before the music started, <sighs> and so he's just That's opening. Not his normal, present everybody. Now. I'm opening it now. Someone in Minnesota loves you. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we'll have awesome. to have our pictures retaken for the website. We'll do that. We'll do that. Oh, we'll yeah. do that in the yeah. show. We'll do that in the show. We'll put all our presents together and we'll get our, our picture taken again. Anyway, so it was it was it was a great time. I'm going back next year. I told them I want to go back next year. I did a aside from the keynote I did on Friday, I did a workshop on um, Saturday, which was a lot of fun. And the issue of task, people want to know more about tasks. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was fun. And so I said, do you want me to come back next year and do something on tasks? And they said, yeah. So I think I'm going to go back to Minnesota next year and do a workshop on tasks and how to use tasks in the classroom, what they are, the relationship between input and tasks, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it would be good. So I strongly encourage everybody out there in Minnesota to support the Minnesota Conference or Council, I should say. And if you are in a neighboring state, Go because you'll have a good time, and you'll get a lot out of it, too. It's really, really well done. So kudos to them. More applause, not just the Cubs of Minnesota. Yay! All right. Okay, well, we have a good show today. Wait, Um, can I interrupt for a second? You always do. I think we need to talk about these monsters in front of us here. No, There's no monsters in here. It's making me nervous. I walked in and there are these new well, microphones. Well, that's what you get for being so late. If you had been here <laughs> at the appointed time, you would have gotten... Okay, the, for the audience out there who doesn't know, we have new microphones in the studio. They're awesome. They clamp to the table and they come over the top and come around front. Bef- before we had desk They mics. block my view of Angelica, though. I know. I can't see you anymore. It's kind of sad. I have to look through <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> I think that's funny. She can't see Walter, and now she's sad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're, you can see me just fine. I can see you just fine. I can, I can see Angelica just fine. So You're just sitting at the wrong angle. You're the monkey in the middle. Uh, I'm the monkey <laughs> in the middle. Am I the hear no evil or the see no evil? What, which one am I? No comment. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, we've got a great show today, and... Uh, Remember that we have our SLA challenge question the, the, um, that will um, uh, come up later. Um, I will give you the question in a few minutes, and the first person to make it to the phones uh, will win a prize. And make sure you call in because Dustin is waiting for you to call in and get that prize for the SLA challenge question. The same is true for the Diva challenge question. I'll read that question at some point, and you'll have time to call in with the right answer and win a prize as well. We have Angelica's Quote of the Week. Walter, did you bring a reading this week? I have a reading this week. Awesome. So good. We have Walter's Read of the Week. That's great. So the number to reach us at, as you most of you know, our fans know, is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. And you'll hear a melodic, masculine voice of Dustin as he answers the phone and says, Hi, welcome to Tea with BVP. Um, you can also email us at twithbvp at gmail.com, or if you're on Mixler, you can, you can throw something up, and Angelica's reading that. But we want you to call in. Remember what we say. This is a call-in interactive show, so don't be shy. 
put down your peanuts, popcorn, and cracker jack. Ooh, I just can't get baseball. I love baseball. I don't care. I just, I, I, I get always, you know, I get that seasonal affective disorder every year. I, I get really bummed out. And part of it's because I don't like football. And I always get depressed after the World Series because, like, oh, the good sports are over until March or April again. Oh, well. Just start watching football. It's fun. I don't like football. I do like tennis. I can hardly wait till Australian Open. Okay. Anyway, so, again, what's our phone number? Angelica, tell me our phone number again. 517-884-4321. Great. And, Walter, what's our topic this week? Do you remember? Did you study? Our topic this week is Output. Output. The nature of output and its role in the language acquisition. So let me give people a little bit of orientation of what this came about. We've talked about output before on this show. Uh, but it's like output is like one of those boomerang things. It keeps coming back whether you want it to or not um, in different disguises like a lot of things do in second language research. Um, and the, top, the reason that we decided on this topic this week is because I get questions all the time. I got questions in Minnesota. I got questions the week before. I get questions in Ohio um, about the role of output. And one of the one of the things that prompted this week's topic was a question I got at Minnesota, which is, can you define output? Because the person was concerned that, so if Walter's providing a lot of input in the classroom and says to Angelica, for example, so Angelica, is this boy tall or short? And Angelica says, tall. Is that output? And my response was, no, not really. It's not really output. Because all Angelica is really doing is copying, taking one of the two choices that Walter just gave her when he asked her that question. Um, and so I said, we need a good def- operational definition of output so people can know what we're talking about. And so here's my definitive operational definition of output. You ready for this? We are ready. Here it goes. Okay, you ready? Write this down, Angelica. I am. Output is when students or language learners actually use language to create a message of their own from scratch. That's why I want to define output. Can you repeat that? Sure. So it's when students or language learners use language to create a message of their own from scratch. So when Walter says to Angelica, is this boy short or tall? And she goes, tall. She's not creating from scratch because all that was, that, all that was right there in front of her. But if Walter says, Angelica, say two sentences about this boy you see in this picture. And she goes, uh, well, uh, he's tall uh, and he's, I think, a student that she's creating from scratch. That would be my definition of output. She's actually doing something on her own. And the reason this, this topic is important is because we often talk about, I talk about how learners need to interact with input. And some people are concerned that that means we're making them speak um, when we say interact. Again, not necessarily so um, because you can interact without speaking. And we also want to distinguish output from just speaking because, again, there's a lot of times people's mouths are moving in class and they're not really creating any meaning with language. Their mouths are just moving. So you want to distinguish making output from speaking, right? So output always is, is involved meaning making and I want to define it so that we're talking about when learners, for some reason, have to create their own meaning from scratch. They're not, they may, uh, they're not, this, they're not just copying from a question or answering yes or no. Okay, so interacting with the input then means that you can answer yes or no. You can say tall or short, depending what the teacher says. You can nod. You can wink. You can shrug your shoulders. That's all interacting with the input. Whenever you demonstrate some attention to meaning and some attention to what somebody's talking to you about, you're at interacting with the input. Uh, and so, and the kind of interaction you do, again, is dependent on your level. Right, Angelica? Yes, sir. So in the early stages, you might do what? 
it, for your interaction with input is going to be, you, you know, not off. You repeat, yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> not off. Yes, no, one word response, depending on what the teacher says, right, or, the, or your interactor, your other interlocutor, and so on. You know, and as you progress and, and you have the desire and the tools to make your own meaning, and that's what's required in the interaction, then you do it. It just emerges naturally, like a lot of other things. So I thought we'd clarify that because uh, we don't want people to confuse interaction with output. Interaction can use output, uh, and output is often part of interaction, but interaction isn't always just output. Okay, again, if you want to get in on this conversation, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, here go my little teddy bears. 517-884-4321. All right, there we go. Okay, now we had some people actually, Luca did his little survey this week and asked people to tweet in. What was the survey I want to hear? No, he just asked them you know, to answer the question, what is output and what's this role in acquisition? And we haven't talked about this role in acquisition. Hopefully that will come up in one of our early phone calls here. Um, but uh, so some people were actually writing in already to Luca's uh, question. And uh, we have, um, gee, uh, I don't know. This is at Prof Roche. Hope I'm saying that right. Or is it Roche? I can't tell. Prof Roche or Prof Roche. And the hashtag is output is essential. Um, and I'm going to disagree with Prof. Roche. Output is not essential for acquisition. Um, and so you can tweet and ask me why, or you can call in and ask me why I say that. That output is not essential for acquisition. And we have some other people who say here, let's see, um, Dustin at Williamson slash or underscore CI says, uh, output is target language produced by the student to show part of student's path to proficiency. Um, okay, Dustin, you know, you heard what I say. It's about meaning making. So long as students are producing meaning, then it's output. Otherwise, uh, 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 we're going to define, we, we're not going to define output, just any old speaking kind of thing. Okay. Um, a lot of people are, are talking about proficiency level and they're and trying to define output. Um, okay. Um, here's an interesting tweet from someone. This is Andrea at WL underscore Cordero says, output equals language produced by the learner. Again, not necessarily, because you can produce language but not be meaning-making, so we want to be clear what output is. Role equals facilitates acquisition as it prompts feedback from the listener-reader. That's kind of interesting. What does that mean? What do you guys think that means? Facilitates acquisition as it prompts feedback from the listener-reader. Hmm. I don't know how you get feedback from a reader, because there's... But... Um, so I guess if you say something and the person doesn't understand you, they go, huh? And that I don't help, know. yeah. Asking for clarification to yeah, but negotiate meaning. Yeah, and it's not clear to me that 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 those kinds of things actually lead to acquisition or or facilitate acquisition. What they do is those kinds of things get learners more input. Um, um, so that's that's one role of output and acquisition to get more input. Um, but directly affecting acquisitions really we'll be really hard pressed to to do that. I actually wrote about this. Did you know what I wrote about this? I wrote, an, <laughs> I, I wrote a chapter in a book in 2004 called On the Roles of Input and Output in Language Acquisition. So um, if we have time, I'll talk a little bit about that later. I don't want to take up all this time. Well, Walter's not having his read today. Why not? He's going to talk about your writing on this topic. Yeah. Uh, really? Uh, nice. You're kidding me. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you, but it's okay. I still have one other thing. No, no, no. You can do that then. Will you? I won't, I won't talk about it. I just you can talk about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, gosh, my God, we're, we're in sync now. Walter and I are mind-reading each other. Like Angelica's it. gotten bad. It's gotten bad. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, we'll deal with some more of these, these tweets and some. Oh, here's one. Can I just read this? I love, I love just patting myself on the back. No, I'm just kidding. I've never noticed. <laughs> this is from at, this is from <laughs> this is from at G O L Goal D D uh, D Dranks. You mean like Goldie Goal. Dranks? I think it's Goldie Dranks, right? Is that right? At Goldie Dranks? It looks like it. Contio like at Goldie Dranks. I don't know. No, Gold Goldie Dranks. Um, this person says just read BBB's chapter, The Limits of Instruction, in the book Interlanguage. Forty years later. Great stuff, this person says. See that, Walter? Great stuff. Great stuff. As a listener of Tea with BBP, I'm familiar with most of the views and arguments, but seeing the references to the research and the responses to reviewers is super interesting and enlightening. And that just shows that our listeners don't just listen, they read too. I like it. We have a literate audience. I love it. Excellent. I love it. They're out there doing their own work. Um, so that's good. Let me go ahead and give the SLA challenge question because I think we got the phones lighting up already. So I'm going to give the question, and here it goes. This one's not so easy. See? See how did I did he, that? Is this the first time he's ever said that before? Hmm, I think so. He always so. says it's Wow, easy. that's a little bit yeah. scary, actually. But, Walter, you might know this. I know I know Angelica knows this. Christina, Here's the question. Christina Bratt-Palston, this was back in the 70s. Christina Bratt-Palston talked about three different kinds of drills for the classroom. One was mechanical drills. Another was meaningful drills. What was the third kind of drills that she talked about? Okay, here I go again. Christina Bratt-Palston talked about three different kinds of drills for classrooms. One was mechanical drills. Another was meaningful drills. And what was the third kind of drills that Christina Bratt-Palston talked about? We'll give you about 10 minutes to call in for that. <clears throat> Hopefully someone will call in and win a prize. We give the best prize. Or I should say win a bagel. Call in and win a bagel. What's a bagel? A bagel? Not a bagel. I have no idea. Win a bagel. What? A Winnebago is a, is a recreational vehicle, right? All right. Is it not? All right. Okay. Win, no, Winnebago is a recreational vehicle. Okay. We got uh, Sarah on the phone. Uh, Sarah, are you on the line? I am. Hey, Sarah, where are you calling from? I'm actually calling from Grand Rapids, Michigan. From Grand Rapids. Hey, that's right up the road. Mm -hmm. Is it raining there today? Because it was raining here earlier this morning. It is not. Oh, good. I thank God. I don't want it to rain anymore. That means because we get your weather, uh, or sometimes we get your weather. Right. It's coming from the north. It won't be raining soon. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. Great. We like that because my ground is so soaked around my house. My dog and I walk out there, and we're just squishy, squishy, squishy when we walk, so... So, Sarah, welcome to Tea with BVP. What are you calling about? Um, well, I was just hearing you read um, people's tweets and such, and you said that output is not essential, and you said to call in and ask the question. So here I am asking the question. Well, Sarah, I love two things. One, I love that you listened carefully and said call in and ask a question, and two, I love that you called in. <laughs> so you're my favorite person of the day so far. How's that? But, you know, I feel pretty great about that, Bill. <laughs> I know. It's just that like you live to hear that from me, right, Sarah? <laughs> okay, so Sarah's question out there, audience, is because uh, I said that um, output is not essential for acquisition. She says, well, why isn't it? 
The reason, and again, is because I define acquisition as the growth of language in the mind-brain over time. So we're talking about development of mental representation. And the only way that happens is through input. And so um, you have to get input for um, that mental representation to grow. That, I mean, because the brain, the mind and brain only works on input data. It can't work on any kind of data. So for output to be essential for language acquisition of this representation, it would have to play the, like the same role as input, and it can't. You can't have two different, two different things playing the same role. Um, and so, um, again, it could be facilitative because it gets you more. When you're interacting with people and you're producing your own output, your own meaning, um, then people are talking back at you. You're getting more input. It could be beneficial because if you do something um, uh, incorrectly or not native-like and, and someone queries you, do you mean this? Uh, in that moment in time, it could focus your attention for just one second, and people claim that could be useful. I'm not convinced it is, but let's say it is. Again, it could be beneficial, but again, beneficial is not the same thing as necessary. Um, so I think that actually the literature out there, if I'm not mistaken, 99.5% of the people would say that output, uh, learners making output is beneficial in some way, but it's not necessary for acquisition. So how's that for an answer, Sarah? You know, pretty good, Bill. You like that? I do. Okay, good. All right. Do you have any comments on it, Sarah? Um, so I guess the way I interpret it then is, would you say input is essential then? Input is essential, essential yes. Okay. So in, is interaction essential? Not, no, not necessarily, because you can learn, you can learn um, language without necessarily interacting. I mean, if you get the right kind of input and you get a, sus a sustained amount of input over time, um, you can develop mental representation language. You can get language in your head. Um, but I do wonder at some point if people might plateau. Um, but again, we don't have research on this, so it's hard to say. Theoretically, input should be enough along with the stuff in your head, right? Theoretically. Um, and anything else would be uh, beneficial or useful. Um, but the only essential ingredients that I know of uh, for language acquisition are, aside from the external things like motivation, a supportive environment, but I'm talking about what's in your head, is uh, you have to have input, um, then you, you have universal grammar that constrains um, your, um, the, the nature of language in your head. You have general learning mechanisms that help you process and do things with language so it, it gets, can be used by universal grammar. Um, and then you've got, your, the, those also link with the third essential agreement, which are the processors that link the input out there with that learning mechanisms in your head. Those are the essential ingredients. Everything else is a supportive role to those things, if I can put it that way. How's that? Okay. How's that? Good. You know, still trying to wrap my head around that. It seems counterintuitive as a language teacher to hear that input isn't essential or output isn't essential. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ponder this one some more and keep listening. Yeah. Well, maybe we go to Walter's read in a minute and he can follow up a little bit because if he does that one, because I, I talk about this in, in that one chapter, and so um, I, it's it's hard to distill these things, you know, in a two minute soundbite for you. Um, but but yeah, I think most people would talk about output being facilitative but not essential. Uh oh, is that NBC? Is that NBC calling? Okay, all right, right? Sarah. <laughs> That's our bell, and the next round of parents should be transitioning. Sorry about that. Oh, uh, quite <laughs> all right. right. Well, Sarah, we appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule to call in. Then, well, thank you. 
Yeah, thank you. Have a great show. Okay, okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. That was nice. That was, good. that was really great of her to call in. I appreciate that she was listening, and she followed up right to say, I, I want to I know what this is. And it does seem counterintuitive to people because the, people just don't want to – people just don't understand the fundamentals of acquisition enough to see why we would say that output is not necessary, but it is possibly beneficial or useful. Okay, Walter. Walter. Read, read me something, Walter. All right. Well, I'm just going to tell everyone out there that one of, the, one of the pieces of literature that I found the most interesting on this topic. Oh, my God. Here he goes again with his Eliza Doolittle thing. I like it. <laughs> is is uh, information written by this man sitting to my right named Bill Van Patten. And so the one I'm going to – I guess I'll focus my attention on this one. Uh, is his book called From Input to Output, A Teacher's Guide to Second Language Acquisition. Uh, I actually got a signed copy of this from this guy named Bill Van Patten. He wrote a little note in there. I was so excited. Uh, (laughs) I tell you, he's the fourth pointer sister. (laughs) All right. Anyway, um, whoever they are. Uh, and don't make me hit you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know there have been a number of people who have asked about this book. I think we even gave a few away in the first few episodes of Tea with BVP. Yeah, Mike, you got a copy of that. Yeah. But I have just found this book to be very beneficial for helping people understand to uh, how input plays a role to getting students to be able to produce um, output. And I know people are like, well, it's really expensive. You go to Amazon and, and it'll cost you a fair amount of money. But there are these things called libraries. And I know people don't like to use them anymore. But uh, And libraries have this thing called interlibrary loan. And so sometimes you can even get this kind of a book through interlibrary loan. And so I recommend that you go get it because I think it's a short read. It's not very long, uh, but it is a great book. So You can always borrow from, Walter's copy. You could always borrow, borrow my copy. You're coming to Actful. I'll, I'll bring it along with me and and give you my address, you can send it back. How's that? Walter will actually probably, what we'll do is, uh, I'll tell Luca, we're going to do this. Walter's going to read it, and it's become a book on tape. Oh, I like it. And we'll put it up on the resource thing. So um, people can- With your British accent? All right. Oh, gosh, no. Gosh, please, no. (laughs) No. So, no, I don't know if we can do it. I have to talk to McGraw-Hill about it, but that'd be awesome to have that as a book on tape, so- Okay. I do, but I do think it is a great resource, and so well, that's why you. I recommend it. Uh, Audience, I did not put Walter up to that. He, he did, did that. not. He it's did that completely true. on his own. I did not ask him to plug my book, but I, that was one of the most fun books I've ever written. You know, it's really funny when I read this book. I feel like I'm having a conversation with Bill because the way it's written is exactly how Bill talks. <laughs> <laughs> so the, when I read through it, I thought I could hear him saying these words. So I, I, <laughs> it was I, kind of funny. I get that a lot, you know. I do. <laughs> Well, thank you, Walter, for that. Grant is already calling dibs on your book. Ooh, my, look at that. Okay, well, we got another caller on the line, so let's take our call. We've got Maggie from the great state of Texas. Maggie, you on the phone? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Maggie, what part of Texas are you calling from? I am calling from Colleyville, Texas. Okay, now, I did my MA and PhD in Texas, and I lived in Lubbock also for four years before I came back to MSU. So you have to tell me where, is it Colleyville? Yes, Colleyville is in the DFW area, so Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay, is it on the northwest, east, south side? Where is it? We're literally right next to the DFW airport. We can see planes kind of coming and going from our school. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, <clears throat> I, you know, I've used to flying out of DFW all the time, and I did not know there's a town there called Colleyville. So what do you yeah, know? Yeah, it's a great town. <clears throat> well, good. Well, thank you for calling in. Um, uh, my little sign says that you're going to take the SLA challenge question. Is that correct? Yes, that is. 
Well, Maggie, you are a champion, and I'm about to read the question one final time. And okay. when I ask you to answer, you may give us your answer. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, Maggie, here goes. Christina Brat Paulston talked about three different kinds of drills for classrooms. One was mechanical drills, another was meaningful drills, and what was the third kind of drills that Christina Brat Paulston talked about? Maggie, take it away. I believe the third um, type of drill was communicative drills. Ding, Yay. ding, ding, ding. Yay. Excellent. All right. I'm applauding just like I did last night at 1 in the morning after the end of the World Series. <laughs> she got the hard question right, uh -huh. so she get a better prize She's, than everyone else who gets the easy Yeah, I'm going right? to send you the mug Walter just got in the mail from Minnesota. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yay. I can't wait. <laughs> It'll go right next to my Ola mug. There you go. There you go. Well, good for you. Did, now, Maggie, did you know that or did you look it up? I looked it up. Well, good. That's what we like about this show, because if, you know, if you don't know something, you, know, you can look it up, and then you learn something during the show. Right, Maggie? Yeah, and it actually gets me excited to read this article that she wrote and kind of go more in-depth into it. So yeah. thank you. Yes, and then we can have maybe our next show is why the term communicative drills is an oxymoron. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> we'll do, maybe that, Luca, maybe that'll be the show next week. Why communicative drills are an oxymoron. <laughs> We'll decide on we'll decide yes. on that's a topic um, or not. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. Did you give Dustin your information yet? Yes, I sure did. Okay. Good. All right then. Well, you have a great day. Thanks uh, for calling in, and don't forget um, to have a great rest of your week and happy second language exercise awesome. to you, Maggie. Thank you so much. Have okay. a great day. All right. Take bye bye, care, Maggie. Maggie. Yay! 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 Okay. Well, whew, now we got the SLA challenge question out of the way. So, Walter. Angelica, should I read the diva challenge question? I think you should, While yes. we wait for our next phone yeah. call. Diva. Question. The diva challenge question. This is so easy. Oh, here we go. Mm. <laughs> I bet Walter could, I could. Uh, uh, Dustin wow, really? Dustin is looking at me through the glass case, and he can answer this without me even reading it out loud. He's, Interesting. He, okay, here it goes. Ready? Here's the question. This is easy. Which pop diva? Oh, I know, I know. Me too. Which pop diva <clears throat> had a war... <clears throat> God, you got <clears throat> I got a frog in my throat. Take over for a minute, you guys. I got to drink some water. Which, Which pop, pop diva, diva had a... <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, sorry. I've got a frog in my throat. See, that was not output because Walt, all he did was imitate uh, what I said. <laughs> yeah. So that was, he was not making his own meaning. So that was not output. He was just speaking. Okay, so which pop diva had a wardrobe malfunction due to Justin Timberlake's nimble fingers in the 2004 Super Bowl halftime show. Shall we repeat the question? Please. Which pop diva had a wardrobe malfunction due to Justin Timberlake's nimble fingers in the 2004 Super Bowl halftime show? I do know this one, actually. So call in and... I was alive then. Yes, mm -hmm. you were, yes, and, and paying attention. So if you know the answer to that, oh, actually, call I in. Actually, missed it. But... Call in. And if you Google wardrobe malfunction, I'm sure that will be the first thing that comes up. <laughs> okay, because actually this, this, is the, um, this is the big, uh, the big scene that, what do you call it, the big episode, the big to-do that, that coined, that triggered the term wardrobe malfunction. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, all right. Do we have any questions on email or Mixler while we're waiting for our next call? I see Dustin over there on the phone, so we've got somebody calling in already. But let's, give another, let's get a Mixler question. We got something on Mixler? Or yeah, comment? so actually, um, there's been lots of communication going on um, based on. Lots of know, output. Exactly, yeah, exactly. 
And Smart Read says, is acquisition all we want? We know heritage kids often can't speak um, without a week or so of an environment which forces them to talk. So is it truly only acquisition that we're interested in? In some ways, yeah. I mean, let me answer that because I have cousins. I'm a heritage speaker. I have cousins who who um, can understand just about anything, but they have no, there's no pressure on them to speak. So why would I force them to speak Spanish? But if they went to Mexico, you betcha they'd be speaking Spanish. So um, so you, you speak, you make output when you have to um, as part of, what's the C word? Communication. Communication, exactly. Communicative drills. Exactly. Communico, <laughs> Walter. <laughs> Walter. Walter, Walter, please. No, no, honestly. So um, I understand the point, and I get it. But no, but seriously, all joking aside, is that people will make output when there's communicative need to do so, uh, as opposed to being forced to. Um, and so I think that um, heritage speakers, as one class of people, um, uh, the fact that they don't speak doesn't mean they can't, or that they don't communicate orally in a language doesn't mean they can't. It just means they don't. Well, and then a follow-up question from Sarah that I actually also had. So if output is not essential for acquisition, is it essential for proficiency, at least for most people? Um, that's not clear either. We don't know. Hmm. What, what, because you have a quote later, because I, I know Angelica's quote today. Um, but um, actually, probably what we should do is, I'm going to come back to that okay. after you read your quote, because I know what your quote is, and I think your quote helps speak to that. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Okay, so uh, we have somebody on the line. We have, oh my gosh, we're just getting people calling in about these, these questions right and left today. We have so, Texans calling yeah, in. I know. <laughs> we got a great state of Texas. Um, what's, that, what's that song? In, oh, what's that called? The stars are bright. The stars are in the, deep in the heart of Texas. I can't remember my mind. I don't even, I'm having an Alice moment. Oh, my God. I'm so tired. Well, if tired. somebody can call in telling well, maybe, us what that song is, you'll also win a Maybe our caller here will be able to. Yes, because we have Andrea from Texas calling in. Andrea, you're on the line. Yeah, this is Andrea. Hey, Andrea. What part of Texas are you calling in from? Um, I'm calling from Dallas. Oh, my God. Are you, Not you know, far from Colleyville. I was going to say, <laughs> you, you and Maggie must just like be next door to each other practically. I know. We must. Well, welcome to Tea with BVP. I hear you are going to take the Diva Challenge question. I am. I'm so excited. Ah, uh, well, I want you to talk to me about SLA, too, but we can do that after. Okay. All right. All right I have a quick question for you, too, then. Okay. Well, let's let's get your... Do you want to do the question first? Do you want your, your, sure, your Diva question? Sure. Let's do the question. Let's, you do, let's do your Diva question first, then you can ask me a question. Okay. So here we go. Which pop diva had a wardrobe malfunction due to Justin Timberlake's nimble fingers and the 2004 Super Bowl halftime show. Andrea, the answer is? That would be Janet Jackson. Ding, 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 Yay. ding. Yay. And Yay. Wally, did you really know that? I did, actually. You yes. did know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. Yay, good job, Because Walter. I like football, <laughs> and I was watching the Super Bowl, but I wasn't watching the halftime show. Huh. But then I remember hearing about it for quite some time afterwards. Right, because it was, you, you missed Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson at the halftime show, Walter. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I bet he's going to miss Lady okay. Gaga this year, too. Oh, wow. Anyway. All right. Well, that was great, Andre. I'm sure you gave all your information to Dustin, right? So he has that so we can send you a prize. Yes, I did. Yes, <clears> and you. you said you had I a question? One, yeah, one quick question. And I didn't hear the last couple minutes while I was waiting. So I don't know if someone already answered or asked this. But um, I just wonder, does, so you talk a lot about acquisition and mental representation and how you know, input is essential. I totally get that. I agree completely. Um, 
But I guess, does mental representation automatically um, mean output and that output will happen? Or how, how, what, it seems like mental representation or input would help with acquisition and comprehension, but to some degree, there needs to be some sort of practice of output, right, to, like, you don't use it, you lose it, to actually be able to speak the language, right? So I guess my question is just, how does mental representation, is it equal to output, or are there other aspects involved, I guess, skill building of speaking. No, what we would argue is that some kind of mental representation is necessary for a person to be able to make output, right? In other words, if you don't have yeah. language in your head, you can't, you can't use language to make meaning, right? Sure, for sure. Um, so mental representation is not just about comprehension. It also underlies people's speaking abilities. And mental representation is vast because it's not just the grammar, the, what we call the grammar or the syntax and morphology and sound system. It's also pragmatics and discourse and a bunch of different things um, that are all involved in how people interpret meaning and how they make meaning. So this mental representation underlies uh, language use, both comprehension and production. So, so that's why we always harp on this because you've got to get that thing going in your head Otherwise, you can't do anything else. Um, For sure. But you still need additional skill practice to be able to use the language ultimately, right? Well, you know... In, in, in terms of like interaction and that? or Well, the thing is you don't need skill practice. That's not what we want to talk about. What we want okay. to talk about is what you need opportunities is, is in conversation making. Uh, okay. let's, let's limit ourselves to oral. I'm not going to talk about writing right now let's, or, or anything else. Um, because you have to learn things like turn to... How do you take turns? How to uh, and those things, you, and some of that you get from the input too. Um, but I mean, but you have to learn. I mean, conversational interaction develops through conversational interaction, right? Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't develop um, without conversations, and so that that's why, for example, doing nothing but reading, trying to get input just through reading, it's not going to get you conversational interaction because that's not the right kind of input interaction you need to to learn how yeah. to participate in a conversation, right? Um, and, and so, so it's not clear to me again, whether output itself is necessary to participate in a conversation. I mean, it's just that it happens so naturally because of the way conversations work that it looks to people like it's necessary or that somehow, um, it underlies the learning of that. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to still push people and say, I don't think output is necessary for conversational development, I think it just happens naturally as a byproduct of engaging in conversations. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So we're not, and I would never advocate not talking. I would never advocate not, not, you know, not having a conversation and if if people want to speak up and make out, but they should, Um, you know, that's not what we're saying. Um, But but what we want to do is make sure people understand that by making output, you don't get language in your head. But you have yeah. to have language in your head to make output. People have got the cart before the horse in, in many ways. And so we want to make sure that people put the cart and the horse in the right place. How's that sound? That sounds good. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right, then. Um, and because that was such a great, great conversation, speaking of, with Andrea from Texas, we're going to move to Angelica's little segment and her quote because um, I think it dovetails very nicely what we were just talking about. Right, Angelica? It certainly does. You, what's your quote this week? Who's it from? My quote is from um, Wagner, Goff, and Hatch. This is a 1975 article. Yeah, yeah, classic. I love classics. 
<laughs> the article is titled The Importance of Input Data in Second Language Acquisition Studies, appeared in Language Learning. And here goes the quote. Language learning is a process involving a blend of linguistic, affective, and cognitive variables. We can certainly learn something about the nature of second language learning through exper experimentation and frequency counts and by ordering the appearance of morphemes. However, we should not neglect the relationship between language and communication if we are looking for explanations for the learning process. Ooh, yes. See, relationship that's, I knew that between language and communication. Mm-hmm, hmm. exactly. And that's why, that's why we always talk about language acquisition being tied up in communication. So, uh, and one of the things, um, I don't know if it was Evelyn Hatch by herself or it was another Wagner, Goff, Evelyn Hatch, because they wrote a lot together in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Evelyn was big in L2 research in the 70s and 80s, actually up into the 90s, and then she retired sometime in the, I think, the late 90s. Um, but she was part of that whole Southern California movement with Steve Krashen and John Schumann, that whole group down there at UCLA and USC. But one of the things that she um, said in a piece after doing a bunch of discourse analysis of uh, second language learners was that, that we have it backwards, the way we think about second language acquisition, that we think that people learn bits and pieces of language and then they assemble them and learn how to converse. And she says it's actually backwards. Hmm. Learners make conversations and from that they get language. And what she meant when she said that was not so much that learners are forced to make output and that's how they learn that, but when learners interact, they get more input and they get the kinds of data they need to start building a system. So um, I've always liked Evelyn Hatch's work, so that's a good quote. Yeah, so it's all about communication, it's all about interaction with the input, and it's all about uh, people being focused on meaning and not on something else. So good, and that's why communicative drills are an oxymoron. Because <laughs> you can't drill communication. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. I digress. Okay, what do we have? Uh, what do we have on our email? What do we have on our Mixler? Um, oh, we we're going to go back to. Um, was it Sarah on Mixler? Yeah. That had that? What mm -hmm. was that comment that Sarah made? Oh goodness. Let's follow up on that it's before so Walter reads an email question here. It's so far up now. I what know. Was it? I know. Those people are just like. You it's on Twitter too, so I could read it if you want. Yes, oh my gosh. Please. Okay. So if output is not essential for acquisition, is it essential for proficiency for most people? Okay, so, is it pr uh, so this is the same question sort of that um, Andre was asking about, um, about uh, is it useful for skill development? You need to you know, be engaged so you can sort of practice your skill or whatever you want to call that. Um, again, I think the jury, I'm going to be, I, I don't really know, and I don't think anybody really knows. I think the jury is out. Do you have to engage in, in talking in order to learn how to talk? Um, I don't know. I still think it's about the fact that you're developing um, a mental representation and as your needs to communicate grow over time, so does what you output. But you can only output based on what's in your head. Um, and so I think that, you know, I, th I think it's a, it, it, we have to be careful how we phrase it because we don't want people walking away thinking, thinking, see, Van Patten says that if you make them talk and make them engage in these things, that's how they learn language. No, not at all. And, and, and that's how they acquire the skill of speaking. Again, it's about engaging in level appropriate interactions with the input. And I don't know how, any other way to say it other than that. Um, and over time, conversation ability should develop because your mental reputation is developing. 
right? So it's just like a little kid who's at a two-word stage. A kid who's at a two-word stage says two words when he or she wants to because he or she needs to, like, no milk. So he looks at Walter and says, Daddy, no milk, Coke. So that's a child saying, Daddy, I don't want milk. I want a Coke. And Walter says back in English, Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. No. He says, no, I'm not giving you a Coke. You're going to have a glass of milk. No, Daddy, no milk. No, you're going to have a glass of milk. Okay, so because that child has a need to do that at that point in time. Um, and then later on, in a year from now, that could be going, Daddy, where's my Coke? <laughs> because <laughs> the language has grown in the mind-brain, and now the child can produce something different. And I think we want to make sure that we acknowledge that, that the kind of output that emerges over time is a reflection of what is going on in the mind-brain. It's not a reflection of what the learner is doing in terms of the output itself. Okay, there. I said it. I'm done. I'm done talking about that. No, I'm not. You know me. Because <laughs> I, I can't stop from making output. <laughs> so, Wally. What's up? Read me an email. I will read you an email. This email is from Lance. Here's what Lance says. Sentence frames are becoming popular in ELL classrooms and starting to be promoted in ours. Are these output? Is it forced? When could they be used to support acquisition. I'm not sure what he means by sentence frames. I think he means like formulaic language. Sentence frames are like when you learn like a whole chunk of language and then you learn to drop things in, right? Is that what I understand sentence frames to mean? I, I, I don't know, but that's my assumption. We used to call them chunks of formulaic things way back in the early days of language acquisition, like in the 70s. So you learn things like... Um, my favorite food is, you learn that as a chunk, and then you learn how to add things in there. Mm-hmm. You know, or, my favorite, or my favorite blank is, and you learn. So you learn a frame like that. Or Me blank favorito s blank. Right. So you learn some. Um, and our start, he says they're starting to be promoted in um, ELL classes. Are these output? Is it forced? Um, and yeah, they are forced. And again, they're only output if they're used to really express meaning. If learners are merely practicing them, so if Walter or Angelico go around their class and make everybody practice the frame out loud and say something, that's not output. That, that's just because I'm not really creating meaning from scratch and, and nobody really cares about your meaning. But if uh, Angelica says, Walter, what's in your refrigerator? And he goes, oh, Nada. Uh, pizza. And Angelica goes, why pizza? And then Walter all of a sudden says, pizza is my favorite thing to eat. Then all of a sudden Walter's making output because he's expressing his own meaning. It wasn't forced on him to do that. So, um, so I think sentence frames, to be quite honest with you, Lance, I think it's just another way to practice language. I don't think it really is about meaning making. And I want to make sure we restrict output to actual meaning making for communicative purposes, either in or out of the classroom. Good. Oh my gosh, we have another call. I just noticed up. I got to start looking at the board more. You guys got me. I'm just so transfixed on the beauty of my two teddy bears here that I just. <laughs> Ted, Ted and Ted too. Okay, we have MC calling from Boulder, Colorado. MC. MC Hammer? Yes. MC on the line. Hi. Hi, MC. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? We're doing great. So you're calling from Boulder. 
Yes, I am. I was just in Boulder this last month, as you probably know, because you hear it. Yes, uh, you sat next to me. Oh, I did. <laughs> I sat, where did I sit next to you at? Are you talking about when um, we had dinner? Well, when we were in Boulder, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure I had the right MC, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we're talking about input and output, this whole conversation. And, and as we're talking, it's kind of complex here, all the different things thrown around about acquisition, proficiency, all these huge terms. And um, what popped in my mind was this very common notion in general education about whoever does the speaking, writing, and reading is doing the thinking, doing the learning. And, um, and also this notion of this process, I do, we do, you do. And it seems to me um, in my classroom that some of those notions just go against the learning of language in that output is not essential for acquisition, as we keep saying. So these kind of models for whoever's doing the speaking is doing the thinking. And so the forcing of language teachers to get the kids speaking is otherwise they're not doing the learning or the thinking um, could be problematic, um, talking about that. And, and I've, I've heard of some teachers who've been warned that if they are speaking more than two or three minutes in front of their class, that they need to stop doing that. Um, and so just some of your thoughts as far as, you know, how do you, maybe my thinking is wrong about this, but how do you combat that um, if this is all about getting enough input in, so we can build up that mental representation? What's a way around that or what's another way to frame that such that teachers um, are not looking to push output so much so that they can get that mental representation in, in kids' heads? I think if I, I, I think we've we've uh, we've talked about this in the show before, um, not about this particular thing you're talking about, MC, um, but in another in a, in, a, in another uh, context, and that is that what I think I'm hearing between the lines of what you're saying is another instance of um, an educational perspective trying to t treat language as any other kind of subject matter. So therefore, exactly. therefore, mm -hmm. whatever we advocate for math or science or history or something else is the same thing we advocate for language. And so what we have to do, again, this is why we have shows like this, this is why we do conferences, is we need to have teachers much more educated about language, language acquisition, and the nature of communication so they can make the argument over and over again, language is not learned like science or math or history. There's no way around it. So it's arming teachers with the information. I, this is what I just talked about in Minnesota. I told them, look, I could give you a, a really great keynote speech where I, I rev you up and I charge you and I make you feel good about what you're doing, but that would be a waste of your time with me here. And I know you can get a lot of that from people here doing great workshops and great presentations. Or I could do a great presentation on um, using input in the classroom and charge you up. But there are other people who can do that. One of my jobs when I go to these conferences is to give people the tools they need to make arguments. And so that's, what we, that's, what, that's one of the fronts we've got to hit people on so that they can tell parents, they can tell administrators, language acquisition is not like the learning of anything else. It's different. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, so otherwise we're in trouble. Yes. We're in trouble if yes, we don't so do you, that. 
For yeah, I'm barging in here. But if you had one hour of a novice-like classroom, um, you know, it's November now. Um, what would that look like as far as the input you're giving kids as opposed to maybe the outputs? We're talking about the role of output today. What would that look like? So if a minister walked in and said, these kids are, you know, you're talking all the time or, you know, they're reading or whatever, they need to be speaking. You know, what would be like a, just a very uh, rough rule of thumb as far as the output versus the input in a novice mid, novice high classroom in November? I'm I'm not sure I understand your question. Is it about what you would tell your administrator or what the classroom itself looks like? Well, the classroom would look like itself, so that if an administrator happens to walk in, you know, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, you know, we're looking at a 90% input versus 10% or whatever. You know, I think that goes hand in hand with, with your message as far as communicating with everybody what the input should look like. Right. I'm still not, I'm, I'm still confused about what it is you want. Is you want something to say to the administrator? Is that it? Well, I mean, I think that um, not necessarily. What I want more of is is a picture for teachers about what that really looks like when they're planning a lesson, for example, where output is not essential for acquisition. Oh yeah, yeah. What would that look like? Right, um, right, right. You know, so then you could you know communicate later about that. But right, and that's and that's why we need. And that's why people need to go to workshops and conferences, local ones. We need to have more people doing. Um, presentations on an input-based classroom, doing demos and so on. Um, and we have to put these things up online. They, we have to have, I mean, that's what YouTube is for and stuff, so people can see these things. There, the problem is there are not enough models out there. I mean, there are, from your and my perspective, maybe there are plenty of models out there. But in reality, for, the, for most teachers, there aren't enough models. Be, um, and so we just have to get them out there in people's hands um, so they can see, and then, and then the appropriate things can be developed. So... Anyway, so I got to go. Got another call here, and I'm getting the, the flag from Dustin. Thank you. Um, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, MC. I just th- thank you for taking my call. Oh no, no, no! My pleasure. I wish we could talk more about that, but I got one more caller coming in, and I just looked at the clock, and Dustin is waving me through the glass case. So, well, thanks for calling, MC, and I hope to visit you in, in, in Boulder again. You bet. Okay. Look all right. forward to it. Have Bye, a great MC. afternoon. Bye. Bye. Okay. All right. Bye. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. So long. Farewell. Da 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 da. I love that song. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, am I correct, Dustin? Do we have another call there on the line? Oh, um, I got the little signal that said, hang on one second. They're moving the call through to the, to the sound system. Okay. So we have Ryan on the phone. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? We're great. Ryan, another person from Texas. Oh, my gosh. It's Texas. Texas wow. day today. I like what, it. Texans calling today. What part of Texas are you calling from, Ryan? Uh, I'm calling from East Lansing, Texas. Oh, from East Lansing. Oh, so you're visiting East Lansing. Yeah, yeah, I'm visiting East Lansing currently. But you, you, are, you are from, where do you live in Texas? Um, Denton, Texas. Which is north of Dallas, right? Yeah, it's a little bit north of Dallas. Okay, my <laughs> gosh, this is just ridiculous. All these Dallas people. Nobody from Houston, nobody from Lubbock, nobody from, from Amarillo, nobody from Brownsville, nobody from San Antonio, but that's all right. Okay, Ryan, what's your question? What's up? Uh, my question is, we've, you've been talking a lot about meaning and meaning-making and um, making meaning from scratch and, you know, even in your definition of communication, expression, interpretation, negotiation of meaning within a given context, and then you define context as participants in setting, place, 
But what does meaning mean? Yeah, meaning meaning means because I break this down in separate places. <laughs> meaning means um, either the propositional content. So um, if you point to the clock and say it's two o'clock, it, you mean it's two o'clock. Or if you say, what would you like to eat? That question is a question because you, it's just a basic question trying to get something out of somebody because you want to decide where to go for, for lunch or you're going to cook something or whatever. Um, so that's basic, your basic propositional content, just making meaning like that. Um, and then there's, there's another layer of meaning, which is intent. Okay, so you can like point and say it's 2 o'clock, and that means not just that it's 2 o'clock, but also means hurry up. Right or mm-hmm. um, and so so meaning has multiple layers, um, but it's base level. It's just basically the propositional content um, that one wishes to express um, because that information is needed at that particular important time um, because of the of the nature of the actual interaction that's going on. Okay, Cause I think whenever I was listening to you, uh, I'll talk about the sentence frames. What I was thinking was. Um, you know, you've got a sentence which gives you the context of what something is being said, and then you have this space missing, which is, I guess, classic in terms of a lot of people's um, classroom. You know, ¿Qué te gustaría? Would it be, you know, comer, tener, blah, 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 in este restaurante or whatever? What would you like to blank in this restaurant? Would it be eat or have or something like that? And so in a sense, they have to interpret the meaning of that sentence, but then they have to express the meaning of the desired intention according to the context. But that, that I don't feel like that's communication, and maybe I'm missing something according to the definition of communication, but... No, it's not communication as I define it. Yeah, yeah. And as, as it's been standard in the field for the last, the last 20 years. So, Ryan, I hate to do this to you, but I just looked at the clock, and... I have got to go because in a few minutes I have to start wrapping up and doing my acknowledgments. Oh, okay. So um, thanks for calling in, and we hope to talk to you again soon someday. Okay, awesome. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Right. Bye, Ryan. Thanks for calling, Ryan. I can't believe my God. Look at the clock, you guys. No, I'm not. Okay, actually, before we, before we go, there is one. So on Mixler, people have been talking a lot about, you know, all the teachers know what you're saying and what is good teaching, but it's the problem that the administrators don't know. Right, and we need ways to let the administrators administrators know, you know, if language is not like math, what is it like, and and what is the difference between good teaching and not good teaching? Right. So we need a show on that. We need to do a show on that. Okay. Oh, I, oh my God! Look at that. If I don't do the acknowledgments, we're not going to finish on time. Can I Uh-oh. do my acknowledgments? I guess so. All right. Well, thanks again for another great show. We're going to thank our technical producer Daniel Trago on the other side of the glass case. Our media producer, Luca Giapponi, the talented and trusted call handler and muscle man who keeps people in line, Dustin DeFelice. Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, special our dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of the Michigan State University. And of course, we thank all of our listeners out there. Our topic next week, well, we'll, we'll see what our topic's going to be next week. I think we're going to find out based on our Mixler and tweets, all that kind of stuff. So, oh, next week, don't forget, we're going to be live from Iowa. That's right. We're going to be at our local conference here in Michigan. So until then, have a great weekend. Have a great beginning of the um, uh, next week. (laughs) Happy second language acquisition to everyone out there. Say goodbye, Ted. Auf Wiedersehen. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Ted, too? Go ahead. There we go. All right. (laughs) 
I got Have two, a great week. We'll I got Ted and Ted too. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> we'll see some of you live next week. Looking forward to it. Bye.